This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Greetings, Gothamites. Lane here. Welcome to Batman Books, The Dark Knight in Prose, where the only pictures are those formed in the imagination. And I am here again with the one, the only, Professor Allen. Hi, Professor. Hello! How are you today? I am doing pretty good. Though, okay, this, this is weird. I'm totally off topic, which you know, we do that sometimes. I went to run an errand yesterday, and all the lights on my instrument panel were lit up, or about half of them. And yep. I, my first thought was alternator, because that does that sometimes. But it was only, like, the ABS system lights were on, the brake, emergency brake light was on, even though it wasn't engaged. The um, Well, that doesn't seem like important stuff. I mean, I don't, I, I don't see how that could cause a problem. It wasn't a problem until I got on the highway and I couldn't use my cruise control. And I'm a bit of a left uh, foot if I don't have my cruise yeah, control set. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I took it in to the dealership so they could run, run a diagnostic. And apparently it's the um, wire that connects the uh, rear wheel sensors or something like that. And both of them had been either cut or chewed through. Hello, squirrels, raccoons. I'm thinking. I'm thinking a mousey. Yeah. Thi- I, yeah. I saw. I saw a chewed up ketchup packet in my car, and uh, but to chew through both of them, like those must be some chocolate flavored wires. Is all I'm guessing. That does seem very specific, doesn't it? Very specific. And it, it wasn't anything dangerous to cars, safe to drive. So it was either like a failed assassination attempt, like they couldn't find my brake lines. <laughs> <laughs> or it's just a very specific mouse who just wanted to be a pain. But yeah, that that was something I did not foresee happening, but it happened. So now I just have to wait for the parts to come in. Yeah. Now, you know, I've been part of the podcasting community now for over a decade. And you know, my podcast partner, M was in the library world for quite some time. We tend to overlap a lot. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So I think either of those would be, you know, potential hives of scum and villainy. I mean, potential mm-hmm. potential murderers. I'm not saying anyone in particular, the irredeemable shag. I'm just saying there are <laughs> possible people in our groups. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like maybe even Stella for my wondering if she would want to cover uh, the killing joke with me. She might have, oh, like, even, though, was, even yeah, though that ep- was not- even though that episode hasn't been put out yet, I have it edited and ready to go. Here's the thing about Stella. She knows. She knows. <laughs> oh, I'm scared now. I'm scared. It is a case for the forensic Batman to figure out what's going on here. See? Now, I did have one just overall 
issue with your introduction to this whole to this whole podcast of yours and including this mm-hmm. book in it. Mm-hmm. And that is, do you want to imagine pictures in your mind from this book? I have a dark, <laughs> dark sense of humor, a dark mind. My, my brain can go places. Okay. So, but yeah. That sometimes the imagination does worse things than if if they show you what's going on. I'm like, no, I can do worse. Just <laughs> hold my chocolate milk. I can do worse. So speaking of this book, uh, we are covering the next three cases. And mm-hmm. uh, Professor Al and I were talking about how our page numbers are a little bit off. So we have two different yeah. versions. In my copy, the one called Bagged and Tagged is on page 66. Oh, mine starts on page 61. Kind of wonder where those extra five pages came from. Mm. <laughs> hey, did I ever send you a rest in peace theater? Not for this one, though. Oh, boy. <laughs> We're going to do this live. <laughs> All right. Let's do it live. Do it live. We were supposed to have recorded this uh, about a month ago or so, listeners, but um, I had to to beg off that night. And then we just had to wait for finals week. Exactly. Then I got super busy. So. Yeah. Super busy. It's like regular busy, but with a cape. <laughs> this is, ends up being an excerpt from Bruce Wayne's diary. Bagged and tagged. Excerpt from Bruce Wayne's diary. Alfred keeps bugging me about the crucial and critical importance of the learned mind, always telling me I should work out less and study more. Well, last week his nagging finally got to me. I've started cracking the books all right, but I haven't exactly been doing homework. And I haven't been bored either. Not hardly. In fact, I can't think of anything more exciting than what's in these library books about forensic techniques. When they do it right, these guys are astounding. Just finished a long description of the standard, or actually the ideal, procedures for evidence collection. Incredible. And since Alfred says writing things down always helps to remember them. So this first section has the icon of a tag, which is, uh, we know from the little, what's, what's the word? The uh, icon page, the, uh, mm-hmm. the, what is that word? The legend, legend? the key. Yes. Yeah. The legend, the key uh, says it's crime scene collection of raw evidence. And, like I said, it's labeled an excerpt from Bruce Wayne's diary. This entry is from a younger Bruce Wayne because we read uh, once or twice about how Alfred is nagging. And it actually came up in the previous entry about Scarecrow, about him nagging, about needing to read, to work out less and hit the books more. So is Alfred a bit of a nag or is Bruce just not good with any kind of authority? I I think Bruce might be a little sensitive. Yeah, I, I can see that. I, much more than Alfred being a nag. I don't see that yeah. at all. So, Bruce, it's on you. So, Bruce finally takes Alfred's advice, and he becomes engrossed in the topic of forensic techniques. And he becomes a little bit obsessed. Bruce? Obsessed? So, he writes what he learns in his diary because Alfred has told him that writing things down helps to remember them. And personally, I find this to be true. If someone tells me something, it's in and out of my head in no time. If I write it down, it helps me hold on to that information. Right, that, that, or if you repeat it out loud, 
just engaging mm-hmm. engaging additional senses. Right. So Bruce discusses the importance of securing crime scenes as early as possible to help limit contamination. So pretty, pretty uh, basic there. There's a quote, uh, people tromping through the scene can really do a number. If they don't destroy actual evidence, they leave their own traces behind, confusing the issue. I like that that sort of differentiates between the, the priorities of the forensic squad versus the investigatory or certainly, you know, if there's a rescue squad, EMTs or fire or, or whatever involved. Yeah. Because they got to get there first. Yeah, they have different roles and functions, but they have they have, I mean, they have different different priorities of of how they act when they arrive. Right, because if there's a, a potential victim who who can be saved, or uh, a criminal who is right there and can be apprehended, um, then they need to get in there hard and fast and not worry about you know what they might mess up. So this a uh, bit about people tromping through the crime scene harkens back to Locard's exchange principle. So the little bit, I I like that they established that at the beginning of the book because it's kind of threading through. So I'm sure we'll come across it uh, quite a bit in practice, if not actually called out in name. I do like in general that among his nagging, if you will, (laughs) that Mm -hmm. uh, Alfred is pushing Bruce to use his mind as well as his body because books are awesome they are <laughs> you, you do a librarian proud <laughs> i'm just waiting for the days like when i'm a little old lady and i have to sit on a stack of ebook readers to see over the steering wheel <laughs> <laughs> now when i arrived here uh at at the university on our campus our librarian at the time uh, wore her glasses on a cord around her neck. I was thinking, how much more stereotypical could you be? Exactly. Like, did they happen to be cat eye glasses? <laughs> Probably. I, 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 I never saw they were always hanging down. <laughs> <laughs> Bouncing off her blouse. I don't know. So <laughs> ne- ne- never wore them probably, but, you know, it's just part of the costume. One of the few genetic gifts I have is what my husband calls bionic eyes. I have sixteen uh, twenty vision or twenty sixteen, however it works. Right. Yeah. And when the was an ophthalmologist checked, he's like, "Do you know what that means?" I'm like, "I have good eyes." He's like, "You have damn good eyes." I'll hold on to that while I can because it's gonna get worse with birthdays. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Bruce describes the precautions taken by forensic technicians to minimize adding their own contamination. We got the uh, latex gloves, the plastic booty slip-ons, and sometimes face masks and head coverings. And then they are ready to, quote, cautiously invade the crime scene, which I like that. There's this one paragraph. For me, it's on 67. It says, Once they're inside the scene, which can be outside, of course, like in an alley or wherever... They take pictures from every angle and distance, including the best possible master shot with close-ups of every detail. Then they mark everything important, like blood spots or bullet casings, with chalk circles or little numbered prop cards. And then they photograph the whole scene all over again. It's really subtle, and I like it because Bruce Wayne is just a kid here. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like a little throwaway line, like... 
it can be outside, like in an alley or wherever. And mm-hmm. that seems sounds to me like a kid who's trying to minimize something that hurts him more than he wants to let on. Mm-hmm. Right. Acknowledge it and dismiss it at the same time. Right, exactly. Like an alley or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, and it was just like a little, little subtle thing, but I... That's nice, yeah. Yeah, I, li- I like that. So I think the author is doing a good job of painting, like feeding us little things and using a, a fine mm-hmm. point brush and not like a paint roller like some writers do. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's tricky. We've, we've, we've talked about it before that, you know, these sections are largely nonfiction in a sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are really explaining some of this forensic factors and, and, and so forth. And so the trick there is how much do you hook in the Batman stuff? Mm-hmm. Because it's 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 laid on much thicker. I don't I don't mean that negatively. I mean, but it's 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 more obvious in some later sections. Just flipping through, where you have characters appearing, or in our prior one with Scarecrow, you know. But that is balanced with these more factual or you know, almost documentary sections, where the Batman references are a little more sly, maybe. Yeah, and it's it feels a little info dumpy here, but it's supposed to be. Because mm-hmm. he's studying and he's taking notes from these books as he's studying. And I, so I think it's a good way of being info dumpy, but in a purposeful way, which is not something that's mm-hmm. easy to do. So he describes next the grid techniques so that they can uh, place every item in its proper place on a photograph. It can even be a tiny bit of fuzz right down to the square inch. That's gonna that's that takes some intense concentration. I think I'd get about halfway through six inch square. I'm like, you know what, guys, there's nothing here. I'm done. I want to go home. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I couldn't do it. <laughs> you can take this magnifying glass. You can take these tweezers. Oops, I forgot to put on my gloves. Is that bad? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the techs find things by searching on hands and knees with a magnifying glass and tweezers, and that. Again, calls back to that first case with Scarecrow with Batman on his hands and knees, which I have have a good visual of that. I wonder if any comic books depict him crawling around on his hands and knees with a magnifying glass looking at... Cause it's not a very noble position for a crime fighter to be in, but it's a good position for a detective to be in. I would imagine it must be simply because we have portrayals of Sherlock Holmes in that position. And... And certainly, they always want to make that Batman and Holmes comparison. So I imagine on the more detective of the detective stories, that must have been Mm -hmm. imaged uh, more than once. I'm here to ask the important questions, though. Does he tie his cape back so it doesn't drag on the ground? Well, fortunately, in comic books, Batman has the amazing expanding and contracting cape Mm. so whatever the artist needs whatever the scene calls for that is how short or long the cape is (laughs) it's like magic (laughs) like if if you do i want it not to drag across the ground and ruin forensic evidence or do i want it to billow three times my body length in the full moon that is always above gotham as i crouch here on this gargoyle the answer is yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, you that can. That is what I want. Exactly. <laughs> Why not both? Exactly. 
you know, he goes on about brushes and the hand vacuum and the bat dust buster in the previous section. So the contents of the hand vacuum are then examined microscopically. That might be something I could get into. Like once the evidence is collected and then you have to kind of examine it, that, that might be up my geek alley. Uh, nothing is too small to be important, which is something worth remembering, which is something that he definitely does. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he writes then about fingerprints and footprints and tire prints. So he's re- is, this whole chapter is just him studying and really digging his teeth into the forensic side of things. He talked about luminol and how it can reveal invisible scrubbed away blood. And he makes a Macbeth reference. Out damn spot. Ah, out damn spot. That's right. Impressive for a teenage boy. Well, you know, books. Books are awesome. That's clearly Alfred's influence. Mm-hmm. And you know he's gone to a private school, so he's... True. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so there's a one paragraph here. But the most important thing before leaving the scene is making sure that every harvested item and speck of potential evidence is separately bagged and tagged. In other words, isolated and identified. This prevents one piece of evidence from contaminating another. It also establishes and preserves a proper chain of custody. And the only proper chain is one that never breaks. If the chain does break, the evidence becomes worthless and gets thrown out of court. You have to prove the evidence has remained in secure custody through all the testing phases of every step of the way. If it's been anywhere else for any length of time, there's no way to know if it was accidentally contaminated or deliberately tampered with, sometimes even switched, even switched with completely different phony evidence. Even a cop can be a criminal, and frame-ups do happen. I think it's so cute that back when Bruce was young, he cared about the courts and trials and evidence and judges. Isn't it so cute? Where does he mention? Where does he mention? And sometimes they hang, they hang uh, the accused by their ankles off of gargoyles high above the city. Maybe I missed that part of the of the chapter. <laughs> hmm, maybe it's something that Alfred plants into his head, like during one of his nagging sessions. So, hmm. I, I like the part with uh, with bringing in you know the court system and bringing in that that chain of evidence. That's an important part of the of the process as well. And I think you know this is something that this whole subject is something that I just don't think they've ever really capitalized on in the character of the Flash, either in the comics or on TV. I mean, he was originally a quote-unquote police scientist back before forensics was a word, but I, I just never thought that, at least on a consistent basis, they just don't dig into that enough. I mean, there should be your, there should be your detective or your, or your uh, you know, I mean, that's, that's an important part that he could serve on any, on any team, Justice League or whatever it is. He could be the evidence gathering guy, yeah, the proper police, you know, chain of custody guy, and, and all of that. But I, you know, where that's hinted at, it's just I, 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 I don't know that it's ever been capitalized on quite enough. Yeah, and you don't see much of the court system at all, probably because so many of his foes are criminally insane to a 
comic book level mm-hmm. degree. So right. the, I don't think they ever make it to court. They they get deemed unfit to stand trial and get thrown away in Arkham. And not a lot of people like to sit through court scenes, but it, it could be interesting. I mean, obviously, Har- Harvey Dent is a pretty popular character, so maybe there's some there that, that I'll come across as I dig more into the comic books. So uh, after the crime scene has been picked clean of evidence, the focus of the investigation shifts. In the case of murder, it shifts to two new locations, the lab and the morgue. Mm-hmm. Techs go over everything in the lab, uh, DNA, fingerprints, ballistics, yada yada, and all the while keeping everything carefully preserved, keeping the chain of custody tight. So meanwhile in the morgue, which is a an amazing segue, meanwhile in the morgue, the medical examiner, <laughs> aka the coroner, continues the harvesting of evidence, photographs, x-rays, CAT scans, overall visual inspections, inch by inch inspection, which I don't really want to think too much about. Wounds get explored, internal organs are removed and weighed, tissue samples taken, blood work, contents of stomach. So, it gets pretty detailed. And we saw a little bit of this if you watch the X-Files. Scully would sometimes be involved in the post-mortem work in the morgue. Or, uh, for readers, the Case Scarpetta novels by Patricia Cornwell. Mm-hmm. Or the Kathy Reichs novels. The Kathy Reichs novels, those are the TV show Bones. Uh, was based on was based on those so nice you get all of that investigation of flesh and bones and organs and last meals and the drug and the alcohol tests all of that stuff i think there a line in here the the corpse itself is the best evidence in any case of murder yeah so a dead body can tell a lot about what's been done to it sometimes even who did it This is why the corpse itself is considered the best evidence. Reading that, it hit me that bagged and tagged actually links both things together. The evidence harvested from a scene to identify a murderer and the murderer's victim, who has been turned into a body-bagged and toe-tagged corpse. Kind of creepy, but true. I was about to say, that's kind of creepy. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad uh, Bruce slash Doug Mensch uh, uh, acknowledged that fact. And it makes me mad. It almost makes me hate. I'm just glad Alfred handled the official identification of my parents' bodies. Ooh. Yes, I think, I think we all are. Again, that's gut just punch. one of those, one of those, yeah, gut punches of a, of a revelation or, or a concept. Yeah. I was in a bad way that night, real bad. And I don't think I could have taken it, seeing mom and dad again so soon, bagged and tagged in the morgue with holes in them and all their life gone. In my opinion, their autopsies were a lot less than perfect. If I didn't know it then, I do now. And the forensics guys in that alley weren't so hot either. Their procedures were less than standard and nowhere near ideal. The whole investigation, if you ask me, was weak. Forget the guy was never caught. He was never even identified. He's still unknown, out there, maybe still free. Bagged and tagged, evidence and death. It all comes down to that. Two very different things described the same way. Somehow, I'm going to use one against the other. I really mean it. I'm going to use bagged and tagged evidence and hanging people from their ankles Mm -hmm. off of gargoyles. I mean, that's a footnote. I I don't know if your edition has that additional. (coughs) 
I'm going to use bagged and tagged evidence to prevent the bagging and tagging of dead bodies. So thanks, Alfred. Thanks for making me crack the books. And while I'm at it, thanks for everything else, too. That's so sweet. That was such a sensitive little Bruce back then. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's been a, a month or two since I read that bit, but I see now why I marked mm-hmm. that last bit for reading. And not only do you have the gut punch of like, yeah, someone would have had to technically identify the bodies, and Bruce was a child, so you wouldn't want him to do it. And him thinking about, like, he he obviously has a mental, even though he didn't see them, he has a mental picture in his mind of what they would have looked like. And then as he learns more about the crime-fighting world and the forensics world, how flawed the investigation of his parents' death was. Mm -hmm. And so that's probably something that's nagging at him, aside from Alfred, is the knowledge that failed police work or human error prevented this person from being caught. So I think that sticks with him as well. And it, I think that's interesting mm-hmm. because we mm-hmm. we only really hear about, like, oh, no one knows who this guy is. He got away. And we don't really see, I, at least I haven't come across any place else that, yeah, he got away, but also things could have done been done better to prevent him from having gotten away. Mm-hmm. Well, as we've come to know, the Gotham City PD pretty much has one good cop in it and He's usually the commissioner at later points in, in Bruce's life. Other than that, it's a, it's a shaky lot. No, when I was reading this, this uh, reminded me of back when I started at, uh, at uh, Ohio University, Lancaster. They may still do this now, uh, you know, or up until uh, up up through COVID, I don't know, but I know we've we've outgrown it. But they had a summer program called Kids in College. Mm-hmm. And every summer, for two or three weeks, they offered weekly classes that ran for a couple of hours per day. There was like a morning and an afternoon session. And these were intended to be, you know, fun, like fun classes, art classes, computer classes, classes about nature. Those were the, you know, the most common type thing, stuff like that. And these were, you know, you know, going to serve the community, serve, you know, the, the kids that came, but also to give a, a lot of these kids, uh, uh, eight to 13 year olds, maybe sort of a positive experience on a college campus. I would maybe, uh, you know, be in their minds years later when thinking about whether to attend college. And for at least at least three summers, um, uh, M took some of those classes. I know ceramics was one they took every summer, uh, every year. But one that I particularly remembered was called Fairy Tale Forensics. Ooh. And it was about crime solving and detection and evidence gathering. I remember they did a grid of something. There was something and they did a grid of it. I remember that one in, in particular out back in the, on the grassy uh, uh, part out, out, outside. The, the professor had it set up, you know, that dig through there and find things. Um, but it was all in the context of, you know, Jack and the Beanstalk or, you know, whatever the, the fairy tale was at the time. And I know that was one of the favorites that M, M ever did. I, you know, I asked about it after reading this. What was that one? It was a forensic thing. It's, oh, yeah, fairy tale forensics. That was, it was like 15 years ago, but 
uh, awesome. That, so that, 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 that's what I thought of in, in this, you know, giving, I mean, it's the same idea, giving us this forensic, forensic facts and evidence gathering in a, you know, totally different context, you know, more yeah. approachable context. See, I'd, I'd heard of kids in college, but being on the library side of things, I wasn't involved in the teaching. And I know they did it up until COVID, and I'm sure they'd want to get doing it, doing it again soon if they haven't already. Um, so I didn't know what wall was involved in kids in college. I thought it might have just been like an orientation or a tour and like fun little things. But that's that's pretty cool. It's a cooler than I thought it was. Oh. Yeah. Nice. Tools of the trade. Excerpt from Bruce Wayne's diary. As the only child and sole heir of Thomas and Martha Wayne, I stand to receive even more than this awesome manor on the hill. Mom and Dad also left me an incredible amount of money. It's being held in a trust for now, administered by Alfred and the lawyer. But it all comes to me when I come of age. Nothing's definite yet, but Alfie and I have already discussed a few ways to use and invest this legacy of mine. The biggest ideas won't happen until I'm older, but eventually I'd like to set up some sort of charity foundation for the victims of crime and poverty. No one wants to be tougher on criminals especially murderers, but it seems to me you can't arrest your way out of crime. If the point is to prevent victims, then the logical way to do it is by preventing criminals. And if poverty creates a lot of criminals, then any war on crime should also be a war on poverty. Not that this would solve everything. Let's face it, rich people steal and kill too. But it ought to help. All right, so the second chapter it's called tools of the trade and that's another excerpt from bruce wayne's diary uh so this is another glimpse of bruce wayne as an adolescent not even like an adult adolescent more like i'm thinking 14 and i think i find out later he's even younger but i think as i was taking notes i thought he was maybe around 14 Mm -hmm. here so bruce and alfie which is adorable have discussed <laughs> discussed ways of using the Wayne legacy. Whatever his age is, it's young enough to get away with calling him Alfie. <laughs> so that might be 10, 11. I don't know. At some yeah. point, Alfred's going to say, uh, no, Master Bruce, no. It, either young enough or has become Batman enough to get away with it as well. It's <laughs> true. I could, could go either way. <laughs> There's also a mention of this awesome manner and incredible amount of money. And since Bruce was born into it, it's kind of surprising that he appreciates his wealth. So he's grounded, got good character. Again, there've been, there've been very various, you know, versions of Thomas and Martha. Mm -hmm. I think with the, with the Andrew Vax, uh, you know, book that you talked about that posited a Martha that was involved in, justice and, and and issues like that and certainly thomas wayne is is presented often as a philanthropist a very community-minded person yeah. so some of those elements are within bruce's background of course right. uh, you can still rebel from that <laughs> you know even if uh, even if you brought up that way he could have very easily become an entitled you know millionaire playboy billionaire playboy and that's why it's so believable when he does that persona it's like mm-hmm. oh yeah of course mm-hmm. he's just like this entitled guy who doesn't you know he was about as deep as a frisbee <laughs> so 
Zabru starts talking about ways to prevent crimes. If poverty creates a lot of criminals, then any war on crime should be a war on poverty. Bruce, if you want to start helping poverty, um, I got some student loans I'd like to get paid off. You know, she's asking. Anyway, so I don't want to look too deep here because the correlation between poverty and crime is a whole can of worms that requires deep research and statistics and peer-reviewed evidence. Does quote-unquote crime include petty theft all the way up to murder? Because someone might say poverty causes high crime, but it's shoplifting, whereas violent crime happens in all socioeconomic groups. Like I said, it's a can of worms that I'm not equipped to get into. It's just something I wanted to bring up as a caveat to Bruce's blanket statement of equating poverty and crime. He did say if, but I think he does lean towards that that direction. Though again, that might be to some extent at the risk that might be a simplistic child's view also. Right. And also mm-hmm. a view uh, of one of privilege. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just wanted to just put that little caveat there to that a blanket statement. Like you said, it's from a child, it's from a fictional character, and it's we don't know what crime includes. Is it petty theft all the way up to murder, or is it just you know the more the type of crime that he would go after? The day that Batman goes after shoplifters, you know, that's a slow bad day. It's also a bad day for the shoplifters. Right? It's like, I just wanted a Twix, man. I didn't didn't want to have a compound fracture. So this makes Bruce think about starting a charity foundation for the victims of crime and poverty. And I like that he terms it as victim of poverty and not just, um, you know, some poor schmuck. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't think he, he gets into the cyclical and generational mm-hmm. nature of mm-hmm. poverty, but it's it could definitely be a victim type of thing. It can be very hard to get out of something like that, if not impossible. So he he brings this up to Alfred, and Alfred gets a little misty-eyed. Oh, Alfie. <laughs> and Alfie says, I should consider that a superb expenditure, Master Bruce. One enmity worthy of your late parents' honor and memory. Which made my eyes go all misty. I know. (laughs) (sighs) Just a beautiful, it's a Kodak moment. So, yes, Bruce and Alfie just getting misty-eyed at each other. So, very, very lovely exchange. But I like the insight that he also has that the money that he has currently might not last forever. And if he has dreams and plans... Why not grow that potential inheritance, as he says? So he talks about this is where the idea of Wayne Tech mm-hmm. uh, comes into it as well, developing and um, um, coming up with creating, perfecting tools yeah. of the trade as well. And it gives him a cover, a legitimate, legitimate cover for something that he that can double for what he really wants to do, which is, you know, build a Batmobile. <laughs> So yeah, he, he creates a list calls ways to start spending my fortune. And uh, this is like basically a really long shopping list of forensic things it that he likes. Yes. Yeah, it's just page after page. So one is a an optical microscope with twin optics so he can compare side by side. And that's the speeding bullet mentioned in the case of Dr. Crane. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. An electron microscope. 
um, a chemistry lab. He wants the works, everything from ancient alchemy basics to the futuristic gizmos <laughs> of molecular biochemistry. Um, he wants a neuron ab- activation analyzer. And that is... This determines the proportion of constituent elements in a substance by measuring their gamma rays as emitted after neutron bombardment. This baby is expensive. And as (laughs) I love that insight. I love that insight. (laughs) And as impressive as it sounds, it's coming under fire by lawyers and scientists alike. Maybe more and deeper research before springing the big bucks. Fittingly enough for a guy whose last name is Pennyworth, Alfred always says, nurse every penny wisely and never suffer a fool's loss. Well, as someone who made their reputation as the quarter bin podcaster, I can <laughs> say I deeply respect Alfred's view of personal finance there. Uh-huh. So he wants a spectroscope, which helps identify subs- substances by their, their core elements, by what color flame they create. Or through this point, wavelengths of light are emitted, so they use a beam. I, I remember burning elements in chemistry class in high school and just seeing the different color mm-hmm. flames. A microspectro—sorry, <clears throat> I got a frog in my throat. A microspectrophotometer. Nailed it. <laughs> Same as above, but able to do so with microscopic samples. Um, item number seven is a mass spectrometer for testing chemicals and compounds in quantities too small for conventional chemical analysis. Item eight is a chromatography equipment, and it's one of the best ways to detect poisons and narcotics. It separates the chemical compound from blood, urine, stomach contents, etc., and then works to identify the foreign substance. Nine is an electro... God damn it, Bruce, why can't you write these in layman's terms? Electrophoresis. <laughs> Electrophoresis. You want to take a stab at it? <laughs> Electro. Electrophoresis equipment. There you go. Thank you. It's like students' names, Lane. You just say them mm-hmm. quickly and with confidence. <laughs> this is the same thing as the chroma- chroma- um, chromatography equipment. I'm having issues here. Um, but it can get down to identify unknown substances on a molecular level. See, this is why I did so well in sign language. I don't get, I don't trip over my tongue. I just <laughs> trip over my fingers. Night number 10 is luminol, which anyone who's watched CSI or Law and Order knows what that is. Item 11, an ultraviolet flashlight to use with the luminol. 12 is an electrostatic lifter. This is a special mat charged with static electricity for shocking Alfred or for lifting and capturing certain pattern evidence, such as a shoe print left in dust. 13 is a gel lifter, which is basically a thick sheet of sticky stuff for capturing capturing pattern evidence and something other than something left in dust, like shoe prints left in mud. Uh, Item 14 is DFO, a chemical that makes latent fingerprints become visible under laser or special blue-green light. 15, ninhydrin, a chemical that makes certain latent prints visible by turning them purple. Lifter tape for removing visible prints. Uh, Pretty much any adhesive tape will do, but he will find out if there's a best kind, which is adorable. Well, we should go to our sponsor for this one, Lane, uh, duct tape. Oh, no, wait, that's, is that our sponsor? Can we get a sponsorship for this? Yeah, duct tape. 
if Batman can't fix it, duct tape will. <laughs> Microtome, a device like a wood plane for shaving... Ugh, okay. This one's a device like a wood plane for shaving extremely thin slices of tissue sample needed for microscopic examination. Ew. I'm thinking just... Gross, gross. Gross, man. Like, I have issues with skin grafting... Like, granted, I'm sure these people are already dead, but still, Bruce, come on. Forensic lab light, a super lamp of high-intensity light with built-in filters of ultraviolet and infrared. His Christmas list is going on. Uh, Item 19, uh, basically a hand vacuum, small in size, huge in power. And he's basically just described my cats. Yeah, Batman (laughs) with a little dust buster is cute. 20, a metal detector, high grade, of course. 21, a thermal imager. This employs infrared technology to detect and display lingering heat. If used quickly enough, it can reveal positions occupied by perpetrator and or victim, objects they've held or touched, as if their ghosts have remained behind to betray them. Item 22, a vapor analyzer. It draws an air sample and feeds it to a hydrogen flame. Let's see, item 23 polygraph commonly known as a lie detector but not admissible as evidence because it does not really detect lies all it does is measure the autonomous physical functions of a suspect undergoing interrogation sweating pulse and breathing to reveal stress he could also maybe team up with matt murdoch here (laughs) he's pretty good at that too that's right major crossover here even though it's not admissible in court as bruce says for good reason so I, I've, I've listened to enough true crime podcasts to know never agree to a, a lie detector test. <laughs> if you're guilty, it's not going to help you. If you're innocent, it's not going to help you. You can even flub that yeah. up. Always ask. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you did it or didn't do it. Don't say anything. Get a lawyer. Get Matt Murdock. Say nothing. <laughs> anyway, that's it. Now, Lane, do you know of the relationship between the polygraph and DC Comics? No. The polygraph, or at least the version that we come to know it as, was created and brought to public prominence by Dr. William Moulton Marston, who also created Wonder Woman. Hmm. Which is why the lasso of truth, truth is part uh-huh. of her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Huh. How, huh. About, how about that? Yeah, that's interesting. I'm thinking there. I can't believe they haven't created a side character named Polygraph. <laughs> Is that too odd? Like they have Calendar Man and what was it, the Crazy Quilt or Killer mm-hmm. Quilt or what? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe it's too low of hanging fruit right there. <laughs> so item twenty five is a voice print analyzer. 26 is a voice print database to be used with above. We got ballistics database to match bullets, um, a DNA database, which it's in back when he's writing this is uh, kind of in its infancy. He says right now there's no pretty much no such thing as the DNA database yet. But every criminologist agrees that this will become more and more important as future DNA research and techniques improve. Which is how they caught the uh, the mm-hmm. original Night Stalker, the Golden State Killer, a few years ago. Mm-hmm. 29. Now he wants a computer. The best, of course. 
<laughs> and about 20 monitors when all is said and done, I'm sure. And I, I, I know in some versions, probably from the, I would guess from the 70s, maybe in, in, into the 80s, Batman specifically references his Cray computer. Cray being one of the companies that made, you know, these huge mega sized and powerful computers back in the day. Hmm. That was back when bigger computers were better. That was the only way we could even conceptualize of a computer being better was that it had to be physically larger. Yeah. And now, of course, we're in the phase where smaller is more powerful. So I imagine most of his computers now are built by Wayne Tech. I would, I would imagine so, yeah. Keep it in-house. So yeah, he, he admits that this is quite the list and no doubt only the beginning. And this is when I realized that he is younger than I thought. Like I put him at maybe 14. Right. Um, so right. at the end, the last couple paragraphs, in June, I wanted to die. So I'm guessing this is like immediately after his parents are killed. Yes. Yep. Now it's July. I've seen him, what, well, around like the 8, 10 yeah, that, mark. That, that's probably closer, yeah. I'd say, yeah, I play about 10. So that's even more impressive that he's, I don't know, he, he's, he's, mm-hmm. channeling, he's channeling his grief because one month mm-hmm. is not, not a lot of time to get over something like that. Uh, it's going to take no. him much longer. So he's really kind of uh, channeling this into something else. And um, Again, you know, the, the notion of turning your grief or your pain, you know, turning that into something positive for yourself or for society whatever it is i mean that's a powerful message it's unrealistic of bruce wayne at this at this stage in his life but i but i do think yeah. it it's uh it sort of serves as a role model in a lot of ways there's certainly a there's certainly a powerful lesson there rest in peace theater presents that time professor allen reads pages 84 and 85 Oh, 76 and 77, depending on your vision. Red, Red a fang and claw. Case file number 0009. Year 1, month 2, day 5. From the private files of the Batman. Brief notes on subdued perp Joshua Thigpen. Delivered into custody of homicide detective Renee Montoya. Related forensic samples and documentation follows. Tentative match between suspect Thigpen's dental records and bite marks on right breast of victim. Thigpen's late girlfriend. Further odontology work, full casting of Thigpen's teeth, recommended to establish perfect bite match. Traces of skin and powder were scraped from beneath Thigpen's fingernails. Powder matched samples taken from victim's face. DNA signature of skin from suspect's fingernails compared against victim's tissue sample will eliminate all doubt. Murder of primal passion. Wounds inflicted by fang and claw. Life savagely wasted. Crime simply solved. Case closed. Note. My immersion in forensic science has changed the way I look at crime scenes, collected evidence, and the harvesting of invisible clues. Thigpen's arrest and certain forthcoming conviction for murder did not need the help of a living instrument of fear and vengeance. 
Rather, it was the Batman's knowledge of forensics that identified and led to the arrest of the perpetrator. My hope is that a significant number of cases may be solved in this manner. My expectation, however, is that the more brutal side of the Batman will also be needed as I continue my dedicated campaign against those who would take innocent lives. When it comes to that, I will be ready. And I hope that soon. Okay, no, that last part was not in there. I just added that. (laughs) Ad lib, ad lib. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm guessing this is fairly early in Batman's career because... Mm-hmm. Honestly, like if there's if, that much DNA, I was gonna say if if those notations at the beginning, year one, month two, or right. whatever it is, yeah, if 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 if, if those are you know indicative of 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 when he started his campaign, it yes, yeah, it's it's very early on because we don't see him a whole lot working with something that I think could have been done by GCPD with all the DNA evidence. We got the uh, skin under the fingernails of the victim and and bite marks and whatnot. That could be done pretty easily by, like, traditional forensic evidence. So I think maybe it was just Batman finding this guy and delivering him to Renee Montoya, as is mentioned. Like I said, you know, I I think this is, you know, maybe at, at this point he is getting some, either he's developing some respect for the Gotham PD. Mm-hmm. Or he's learning that there are a couple people in the Gotham PD worth worth trusting. So yeah, it's either he's learning to trust the chosen few, or maybe he's still innocent enough at this point to think that they're all super cops. Yeah, that's a good point. He's like maybe using some of these less high profile cases to kind of start building a bit of rapport with different officers mm-hmm. and figuring out who mm-hmm. he can trust and who like he might not know how rampant corruption and whatnot might run in the GCPD but uh it's good to have uh, a two-way street of trust between like okay mm-hmm. this guy he is a vigilante but he's bringing us evidence and whatnot mm-hmm. so yeah okay I like that I'll, I'll no. allow it <laughs> Now, I know that you've been working on increasing your comics consumption Mm -hmm. and, you know, assuming that you're liking the type of things that we're covering so far in this book, I would highly recommend, I think it was roughly a 40-issue series, Gotham Central, written by Greg Rucka and Ed Brubaker. The focus is on the GCPD, the ins and outs of trying to solve crimes. Nice. And enforce laws in a city where Batman exists. Right? I like Batman it. is very rarely in the comic. It does focus on the the day shift and the night shift of Ooh. the of, of the police officer. So you, you do get a lot of Detective Bullock, a lot of Renee Montoya, Christmas Allen, and, and many of the others as well. So Gotham Central that is one I would put on your list. I am definitely going to add that to my list. That sounds very fun. And it is an excellent series. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah, we, we got a big shopping list by a young Bruce Wayne. His notes as he studies about forensics, the nickname of Alfie. <laughs> that may be the most important takeaway from this episode. I'm just saying. I have it highlighted in every color I have. 
I have it highlighted, and then I outlined that, and just I have this giant rainbow circle around Alfie, and then the the little bit where they get misty eyed, where uh, he he talks about yeah. the foundation, and he he's doing he's doing Alfie proud, and I thought that was a very touching moment. So, yeah, interesting interesting stuff. Yeah. Um, I have I, mean, the, I, th- I think I mean it was it was it was on that first episode that we did where we you know talked about hypothesized about how this book was going to go. I, mean, I don't know about you. I mean, I'm, I'm just reading it section by section as we're covering it. I've not, I've not, I've, I've resisted the temptation to read too far ahead, but sort of we, we talked about how much of it is going to be forensics, police stuff, how much of it's going to be Batman. And we've had a little bit of both. And, yeah. And so, so far I've really enjoyed, you know, the, that balance that, that we've gotten. And I think they did a good job because I'm sure well, I'm not sure. I have a suspicion that Minch, you know, might have done some rearranging, you know, if he um, wrote these separately, mm-hmm. it might have been easy mm-hmm. to fall into the trap of doing it chronologically, which would have put stuff like right. this first, which would be kind of a dry read for opening up a right. book, and it wouldn't really get the hook, but opening up with the case with Scarecrow, I yeah. think was a good, like it's farther, like chronologically it's out of order. But it really digs into the um, importance of forensics, and it gives us some action and a cool character. And then it kind of takes a step back and shows us uh, Bruce Wayne's diary from when he was a child and learning about forensics. So I think it's a it was a good, you know, here's a really good opening. Let's take a break and backtrack a little bit. So now I'm curious to see where the next sections will take us. Mm-hmm. And I haven't, we'll have to touch base and see exactly which ones to cover. I don't have my book on me, but probably I'd say like the next two, depending on how you, you ended up suggesting we add this third one because it kind of went with it and it was a really short one. So we, we'll we go for the next yeah, two. The, um, yeah, the the next two are specifically about gunshots. Okay, so and what about the together. one after? Does the one after that, is it standalone? It could go either way. The fourth one from here is the Joker. Ooh, so maybe okay. we should do the next three. Let's do that. And then the section yeah. after that is a Joker. has some Joker content in it. That sounds good. Let's do the next three. All right. Mm-hmm. Rest in peace, theater. Prevents. Prevents. <laughs> All right. Let me stop my audacity. The audacity. Thank you for listening to Batman Books, The Dark Knight in Prose. If you'd like to send me a message, comments, questions, you can reach me on Twitter at BatmanBooks underscore DKP or on Gmail at DarkNightProse at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider leaving a rating or review. Until next time, Gothamites, happy reading. Batman is copyrighted to DC Comics and was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger.